even though it was not a actual a movie, that was the first time that I was directing my crew with my story. Um, um, even with my money, I was doing executive producer without knowing it, you know. Uh, we just film it on the streets without any uh, permission, uh, without any, you know, <laughs> supervision or control. We were like even putting f fire on the floor and creating like that. There were like barricades and fictioning like... On the streets. Uh, on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, empty streets. Obviously, we found like... Yeah, isolated place. Uh, but we were, we were like, we we didn't care. We didn't give a fuck. We didn't thought that this this so serious to make, and we just did it. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Carpe Diem. I'm your host, Luca Rocchini. The today's guest is Chilean film director and musician Carlos Ditborn from Santiago. Carlos showed great interest and skills in many forms of arts from an early age, resulting in what will become his great passion, the cinema. Later, he went to study filmmaking and started working as an editor and assistant director. In 2004, he founded the Cinedition production, and in 2011, he moved to London. His interests in exploring new forms of artistic expressions and led him inside the world of contemporary dance. He has directed and edited several award-winning dance videos, and Carlos produced promotional, commercial and film work and taught film editing. In addition to filmmaking, Carlos is an excellent bass player, music producer and songwriter. He has recorded several albums and played in hundreds of live shows both in South America and Europe. Recently, Carlos has returned to live in Santiago. We're going to have a chat about his passion for filmmaking and music, how he developed during the years, his creative experiences in both Santiago and London, and his latest projects. Hi, Carlos. Thanks hey. for being with us. How you doing, It's been a while Luca? since we last spoke. Yeah. I'm good. How are you? How are you doing I'm these right, days? Man. Thank you. I'm all right. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm quite excited of being in this in this podcast, to be honest. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I got lots of questions and um, good points to chat about, uh, both on your filmmaking, uh, filmmaking and music career. But first of all, uh, I'd like you to tell us about your background. Um, what was the spark uh, for working in filmmaking? And uh, how did it all start? Uh, yeah, well, um, I was not one of those guys who like really knew that they wanted to be a filmmaker, to be honest. Um, I was, when I, in my teens, I was going through, I don't know, rough times, like everyone on their, on their adolescence. And, and I, 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 I stepped into music, like playing with friends and learning how to play some music and very into the punk and... Uh, do-it-yourself attitude and and then I start like I don't know writing and and making photos and eventually I was kind of searching for a kind of an artistic outcome or a, a way of expressing through art and and when it, I got to the point that I was like finishing school you know and getting to decide what to you're gonna be in your life like serious decisions 
I was like, fuck it. I love music. I was already playing with some friends, some bands, like very amateur, but still having fun with it. And then I was thinking like, well, but uh, I can do that eventually without studying it. I'm having fun with it. So maybe I, and I was thinking like filmmaking is one of those things that it has all what I like. I like to write, I like to paint, to, you know, to make photos. and to watch movies. So eventually I thought like, oh, well, filmmaking is like this sort of renaissance, um, you know, uh, school or, or it's this renaissance like a thing that you can take a bit of everything that you like. So, but it, I didn't know exactly what it was, exactly filmmaking in, in itself or making movies or whatever. Um, I still, I think I don't know what it is, <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it was something that it more in, in intuitive, um, you know, an instinct that it felt okay. I can develop my interests in this field. You know, it has a bit of everything, and it was cool. And when I went when I went to film school, I, I always remember the the film director, uh, the the film school director, who is a film director here in, in Chile. Um, he said, oh, well, do you like to do? And I said, well, I like to take photos and I play the bass. And he said, oh, well, you know, bass players are really good for editing. And I was like, okay. And I, and I didn't catch it. And then afterwards I was I spent like 12, 15 years editing. I still do, I still edit a lot. So, so and, I, and I found it like very similar in the way that you use rhythm with editing and how you use rhythm in music. So it's very, it's extremely similar. And even softwares, like when you produce music and you edit, uh, it's it's quite similar experience. So I don't know. I realized that cinema has these links with other arts. Obviously, it's the se- uh, seventh art, as they say. Um, but it, but you can you can dive into cinema from many different sides, and that's one thing that it, it really catches me. Um, that's what I decided and end up f- uh, study f- in in a film school, and I I kept making music. Um, and I kept learning, but uh, with a, I mean, uh, self-taught uh, uh, in a process of, of teaching myself how to make better music. But filmmaking was something like way more difficult. Filmmaking was like, oh, that you mean you you need a lot of uh, skills to make films. Uh, but music, you can have this punk attitude and just make music. You know, it was like more achievable for a kid, but filmmaking was something like really, like kind of far and big um, decision. So I, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, and, and I still nowadays I feel there's certain moments in my life you have to think about it. It's like, wow, did I choose right? If I would be like doing just 100% music and no filmmaking, and, and I, I was like, and there's some, some points where you say, yeah, I choose right. Definitely, you get back to that point and you say, yeah, I choose right, you know? It's a bit like that. But I was lucky because I started at 19, I went to film school. So it's quite early in some way because there's a lot of people who get into film way later in their life. Uh, But at the same time, um, you end up uh, growing with a generation of filmmakers that eventually 20 years afterwards, they are part of the industry where you are, you know? So that's also important of being in a film school in some way, you know, having a, like a, a crew around you that you know them well and they're your friends and you trust them creatively and as a friends as well, you know, 
It's a bit like that. Re uh, filmmaking is a lot about relationships as the, at the end. I learned it with the year, you know? And, and what filmmakers, is any filmmakers that inspire you at that time? Mm. To be honest, I didn't know that much about cinema, uh, like history and stuff like that. I was like very ignorant when I went to film school. I realized in the very first classes that a lot of my uh, classmates, they were older than me, many of them, because as I said, I, I, I get it there with 19 years old. You are really, you don't know nothing about what to talk about in life and really like and make, and what about make a movie about. And I felt very intimidated with all this intellectual world of filmmaking. But to be honest, um, I I love classics. I, I kind of grown up watching classics because my, my dad loved film. Um, and I without even knowing, I was watching good films, you know. Um, I would say, like, uh, I enjoyed very much. I mean, it's going to be, like, very easy to say what inspires you but to be honest I, I like very much like classic uh films like uh and and suspense like hitchcock and stuff like that i love kubrick movies all those classic things i i really like them um but at the same time i was watching a lot of more independent things very outrageous stuff uh, i remember when i watched harmony corinne uh, gumo in film school i was like oh what's this shit and i, I was like kind of it was a big contrast for me. So I didn't know, kind of, I didn't understand the range of movies that there are. I, I just felt that they were like the classic and then this kind of thing start bumping into my my head. Like, and, and I was not sort of ready for that thing, but I loved it because it was fresh and completely radical. Um, but I am a bit obsessed also with uh, following specific directors and knowing all about them. I do a lot about musicians as well. So I had my Truffaut period. I had my Hitchcock period. I had my, you know, Clint Eastwood period. And I watch everything that I can from them. And then when I, when I feel like satisfied and I feel that I know them a bit, it's like, okay, I can move on to another, another great director and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't have, favorites to be honest i like so many things that it's difficult but it, i to be honest I, I i tend to to be very conservative in what is the classics you know in that way that's that i would say it's it's not reflected on my work at all it's just what i grown up watching and i guess even if you like it or not is what you you were made of when you were a kid you know yeah that's that's interesting because uh you know i actually start pretty late uh, going to film school I was like uh, yeah it's good to have some life experiences and mm. yeah I knew so much about cinema but yeah it's, it's true like you know growing up together uh, with other filmmakers and make your own experience together is actually very useful and important yeah but what what were your um, your first jobs you got in filmmaking apart from editing um, apart from editing you mean yeah, you say uh, already like you. You've been uh, because because from yeah, the beginning, I, right? I started editing. I mean, when I was in the film school, um, like the third or fourth year, you start like kind of specializing, and I was really into directing and editing, and I was sort of editing the my my classmates' uh, uh, shorts, and then one of the guys who were like a, a couple of older generation from me, he he was already working in this. Um, 
production company and they needed editors. Obviously, this production company was paying very low wages. That's why they were they were chasing for like school school graduate editors, you know. And it was for a like very, you know, like a terrible TV show about like uh, ambulances and crashes and death and stuff like that. Very more morbid content. Um, and, and that was my first job, not in film industry, that was TV. But then from there, start started editing some shorts and documentaries and, and feature films eventually. So not that many as, as I, I would I would love I, I would ha I would like to have. But um, but it was at least enough for me to feel, wow, I'm working in the industry in some way, you know, um, and on the side, as a director, was way more difficult to find uh, jobs. Like if if you talk like proper paid jobs, so you made your own. We made our own jobs. So um, we kind of put money into our projects. We did a couple of gigs, music gigs to raise money. We did a couple of parties to raise money, and we start doing like our own uh, shorts and fictions, basically. Um, so I didn't have a proper job as a director. Way later on my my career let's say and i did have 10 12 years steady job as an editor so for all sort of products like tv and tv series dramas and you know fiction and luckily a lot of fiction which is which is related with with cinema you know with film um and, and less of you know tv factual things or documentaries tv documentaries more like more like feature documentaries for the cinema, so that was that was um, that was my proper first sort of job in the industry, and then I managed to start doing my own stuff on the side as director, writing my own stuff. Um, there's one I remember specifically one of my first, which which it, ma it made me feel like now, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a director now, you know. It's like because I did some short films at the film school in in. 60 mil in that in that time even in and, and video as well when we had the mini the mini dv cams like the pd 150 sony that the, it's supposed to be equal to to cinema and it was like crap like this the size of the of the frame was like so small so but but at that time that was that was what happening like moving from actual film to 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 digital that was like the big the big step to to make um and we filmed this. It was a teaser for a feature film that I wrote with a with a colleague, and it was like kind of our exam, final exam, was her final exam. She was screenwriter, and we were writing this together, um, thinking of me directing it. It's called Devastated, and it was a feature film, and it was quite hardcore stuff. It was like about gangs, uh, like uh, neo-Nazis and punk gangs fighting on Santiago Street while uh, uh, at the same time while Pinochet was um, kind of uh, ag uh, agonizing like uh, about to, to, to die. So the, the, the political context was like so, 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 I don't know, um, uh, polarized then. And so we had this fight about gangs and stuff like that. It was like, I don't know, very, um, I guess, uh, angry sort of thing, you know, like one of those like uh, Lahaine movies, some th those bizarre things. And we were like really 
like upfront with with our movie, but it didn't work. I mean, people were not not just people. I mean, we we, we didn't manage to make it. In fact, so we put like I don't know, like five Ks. We 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 save money. I save money, and the producers save a bit. And we join forces, and we get some people, and everyone was like working for free. And we did this teaser, which looks really good. And a lot of people were, oh, did you film this on film, actually? And I were like, no, we did it on digital. And they were like thinking that we did it in 60 mil. And it looks really good for that time, you know? Um, and that was like sort of, even though it was not a, actually a movie, that was the first time that I was directing my crew with my story. Um, um, even with my money, I was doing executive producer without knowing it, you know? Uh, we just film it on the streets without any uh, permission, uh, without any, you know, <laughs> supervision or control. We were like even putting f fire on the floor and creating like that. There were like barricades and fictioning like uh, on the streets. On the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, empty streets. Obviously, we found like yeah isolated place. Uh, but we were we were like we we didn't care. We didn't give a fuck. We didn't thought that this this is so serious to make, and we just did it. Um, uh, and still, the video is on YouTube, and we never made this video, this this movie. But it was the first teaser that I did, and it looked really well. We never raised the money. We didn't know how to do it. We were, I, I was honestly, I was 22, 23 when when we filmed that, and I was putting five Ks that I that I saved editing. You know, when I, when when I when I being editor, I saved money to put in on my project so that's if you ask me like what's your first job it's like wow fuck i i could say like the one that i that i i forced to myself to get into making it yeah making my little fiction and from there it's not been that different to be honest you end up um maybe i i'm, I'm jumping to the other side of the story but i'm you end up like having to invest on yourself if you want to push yourself as a director um, so that's what the first thing. I mean, it's very difficult that someone will give you, like, pass you like a script for you to direct if you don't have a, a an actual body of work that it can be proven, like ten years, five years at least. I would say. I mean, it's very difficult that you achieve mastery of filmmaking in less than five years. I mean, you know, it's not like that. So, so it's a long it's a long journey in that way. So that was the the beginning. <laughs> to answer yeah and then and then from there like you you started your production company um cinema addiction cinema addiction yeah. yeah yeah cinema addiction sort of speak. addiction yeah um <laughs> well how, we, how, how did it work how did yeah, it start that and, company uh, started just because of we we had to have some sort of name to produce our stuff. So in fact, this little teaser that we did devastated that uh, that we start with. Um, we put this company around that project. So basically, when we had to have like you know uh, an invoice for renting the lights or whatever or this or that, we realized that okay, we can make a little company. It's not that difficult. We we got a friend who who helped us with that thing. A lawyer friend. You need to have good friends that they they work in the real life, you know. Um, so he helped us. We put that together, and started just not actually as a company. Oh, we're gonna make money from it. We started 
way more like, oh, we have now the um, kind of a legal image to present our projects. And it started like that, to be honest. But then from there, we realized that we had the chances to apply for fundings and apply for government, you know, support and 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 that's the way that it's been since then to be honest that that's that's our platform to make our projects basically and it has worked as well as, as an app, a platform to provide services and make videos for more corporate world or even cultural world um, um, so it kind of um, help us to widen our spectrum of production. We were really into, we want to make movies, and then we realized, okay, we, we need to make money on the side, of course, and having a company help us to to show a more professional side of us ourselves. So that was very, I, I don't know, was again, instinctively, we said, okay, we need to make a company for this teaser, and then we have kept going with, you know? And the, in the meantime, you kind of started working as well uh, um, choreographer for for dance videos, and you kind of been able to kind of mix up this kind of um, original form of mixing kind of short film and and dance films. Mm. So yeah. How, how? What was the inspiration? How did it all started? Um, that was very random at the beginning. Uh, I, I, I was not working as a choreographer, and I'm, and I'm not a choreographer. I'm, I'm just a video maker working with dancers. Uh, and I was invited when I was in the in the film school. Well, luckily, this film school uh, was in a university, which is from for arts, you know, in here in, in Chile. Well, th it doesn't exist anymore, so it's, it's, it's quite sad. So. My t my title doesn't worth any <laughs> any penny really, but but the thing is, at that time there were a few film schools and this one was in our university and it has uh, other artistic careers. So there were theater theater and drama and music and dance and philosophy and humanistic careers as well, sociology uh, and a few others. I don't remember uh, architecture. Um, arts, you know, something like that. So it was quite exciting place, and that's why, and and basically also, also because what I said earlier about my first interest, that they were so abroad on arts that I was keen into learning everything, and and then I got invited to film a dance video, and I never heard about dance video. What is a dance video? Dance film, as well as known in Europe. Um, and I was like, okay, so there were this bunch of uh, dancers at the school that they were putting this project and they got a little bit of funding for it. And I got invited to film it. And I was doing my best, putting the camera, working with the tripod, putting the lights and a bit of everything. We, we were like a three people team or something like that, three people crew. And, and then my partner, she was, my partner then, she was, um, she is a choreographer and she was studying dance then and we and i finished this project but i had problems with the choreographer he was very temperamental uh so sort of uh kind of divo diva personality uh and we clash a lot during the process so i i got a bit pissed off like saying why we should i should be doing this 
with my partner, you know, we should try this format, this new medium called dance video. I never heard of it. And then I realized that David Lynch has done one. And then I realized that a few other filmmakers had gone in through that. And then I started watching things. Well, YouTube came out. That's a huge thing for us filmmakers. YouTube came out. and, and eventually you had access to watch all this thing. And I started learning about Philippe de Couflet, a French guy, and, and other choreographers who were being working with film, uh, film and, and video medium since a while and doing like this kind of abstract form, which is dance video. So you don't have to tell a story, actually. You don't have to have a script. You just work with the flow, with the dancers, the music, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, this is super exciting to try things, techniques, and I don't know, I don't know, try different things and to work with other creative people, which is our dancers and choreographers. Um, And with my partner there, then, we worked many years doing those dance videos and on the side I always uh, got invited to work with other dancers and other choreographers and we did a few. Um, It's something that I haven't done for a few years now because I've been more focusing on fiction which is uh, a lot of work but the joy of those videos to wrap it up a bit the idea is that you can make very short videos And it doesn't take that much time as a fiction or as a documentary or something big, you know. And you can do it very cheaply as well, but you can express a lot. You can have a lot of um, experimentation while doing it. You can work a lot with the music side of it, with the rhythmic side of it, with the movement of the camera if you want to go on that side. Or also with the the theatricality. I don't know if it's the right um, way of saying it, but that dancers also can give you. Like the, the, it's, it's not about like being realistic as in a film, it's way more about being abstract. So that's something really interesting for me to explore. And I went through that path uh, and I still use it because if you think nowadays, music videos have a lot of dance on it. They are pretty much dance videos nowadays. Um, so, and you see the crosses in between the medias now. Music and dance videos are pretty much almost the same. And you can do a dance video and, and or a music video. And if you if you hook up with a with a music producer or the, an artist, and they give you the the credits of the the the, the copyrights of the song, and you do a dance video, you can actually send that same video to two different festivals or different you know type of festival like dance videos and music videos and you can make more worthy that little effort you know so because distribution is is quite important is very very important and if you think even dance videos they have a massive massive distribution around the world in in, in festivals and nowadays with the streaming platforms it became even wider and i was lucky to be invited to portugal uh, to lisbon i mean to um, um to um, Netherlands, to Amsterdam, uh, for the dance film festival there, to uh, Spain in Tacoronte, uh, to to present these little dance videos. So there's a, a, a massive audience out there for dance videos. And I didn't know back then. And that was like, yeah, well, it's, I started like 20 years with the first of them. And I've done, up, I guess, like seven-ish, I don't know, projects around dance and choreography yeah and you had that <clears throat> sorry that that kind of epic video uh 
It was like 20 minutes long, like with the kind of you build up the locations and you make everything uh, looking quite odd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So powerful, like, you know, really see like how the choreograph and the dancing can kind of work with the, the elements. Mm. And it's kind of like, <clears throat> as you say, it's more expressionist or kind of surrealist. And it's kind of easy to accept that kind of uh, type of storytelling that would it be like if you have to have a, a you know, a classical kind of like beginning, middle and end with the mm. story. So, it's, well, yeah, yeah it's that that project, what, uh, the one you're naming is uh, it's called Pristine in Torment. It's Pristina yeah. Sentormento. Um, and yeah, that was a short film that we were lucky to earn quite a bit of funding for it. Um, it might worth also about uh, to talk about the fundings here in Chile because we have an exceptional situation regarding fundings. I, I might get into that. It, it might worth yep. to talk about that. But we got around what it is twenty-five k's. I mean uh, pounds, sterling pounds k's. Like I mean, I'm talking about like a lot of money for a short, a dance video short film, sort of speak. And we 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 get away with it because we get this money for from from the funding but we did something that it was like completely odd for any for any other medium done like previously at least here in Santiago in Chile which is we mix yeah a bit of fiction stuff a bit of dance and a bit of theater theatrical stuff and and we put all this in a surreal very odd world like sort of Tim Burton sort of world, a bit like Alice in the Wonderland references. So we we put that all in a kind of um, princess princesque context, but very bizarre. And the movie co goes in between the beauty and the you know the the horrorness of that world. Um, but it was weird because to be honest, we didn't get selected in too many film festivals as such because it was not like proper fiction. There were no even dialogues. It was completely, you know, silent in terms of dialogue. There were a lot of sound design and music and, you know, and a huge sound design, but there were no dialogues. So it didn't fit pretty well on fiction. And at the same time, it didn't feel in dance. It fit in dance, dance video world because it was too long. And it has sort of a fiction side to it because there was a story. So they don't like stories. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, but still, we found a way to make it being seen in many, many places. Um, I also were lucky to be invited to Poland, to Russia. I went to Siberia to shoot that short film on a festival. I got an award there. Um, and it was like amazing that there's still people, even this was the, the weirdest thing that we that I've done there were a lot of people who loved it so much so much I mean people still nowadays uh, as you said well that was that was something like a kind of epic thing mixing dance choreography and storytelling and and it, and it is I'm very proud about that project but it's it's a bit weird because it's not for everyone it it, it you love it or you hate it sort of speak it's all right I, I can live yeah, with I, that I, <laughs> yeah I, 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 yeah, 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 of course. Like, uh, yeah, if you think like people expect uh, a storytelling with dialogues, when every, you know, all the characters explain you what's going on, it's not the case, you know. It's it's like pure cinema, you know. You you need to feel it first. Yeah. And then 
yeah, if you want some explanations, but <laughs> yeah, they were, it's, it's funny the cinema you is not about uh, as well. It's not about but, talking heads, is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not no. Hopefully not. It's TV, that's, that's that's TV exactly. Yeah, yeah. But this thing was like uh, it's funny as you said, just a, a little a little trivia note. But it's like. Um, when when we had the screening here, uh, open screening, and there were a lot of people and friends and family coming in, in to, to see the, the, the film, at, at, the, at the end, outside, there were like a couple of uncles, you know, and they were like, mm, I didn't understood everything really. What this meant and this, what about that? And they were so fucking lost. And there were other people who catch everything. And so, so you see as well how trained is the audience, how... How, how you learn to watch movies in that way and, and codify it and, and understand the under, underneath meaning of it. And this was, this was very challenging because we were like very abstract in all sense, you know? So Yeah, it's probably more for people like they enjoy, they understand paintings than, yeah. than films. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. very abstract yeah. in that way. So that's what I said. It's not for everyone, but it's enjoyable for a few and quite enjoyable, I guess. And and then uh, when it was shortly after that, you moved to London. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was um, that was quite lucky because I just I recently finished that short film, and to be honest, this was a massive, um, a huge step because it felt so differently when I was doing my film work from Chile and sh- uh, sending it to festivals and stuff like that, f- uh, dance films and short films and stuff like that. They, you get selected and they were like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, we love it. If you can pay your tickets, we might give you, I don't know, um, a, a hotel room to stay for a few days. And that's very kind, of course, but tickets from South America to Europe or to States, it, take a, it, it costs a lot. So for an independent filmmaker, you cannot pay for that even for and not for three days of a little festival really you know where, where you know that it's not gonna give you the platform for your next prof, pro, uh, project really it's not gonna bring you money back it's just a little bit of fun and rewards for your effort that's it and it's good because you met you you, you meet a lot of um a lot of other artists which is always good um uh but then since i moved to london and i had I just finished this project and I was sending it and they were, oh, well, this project was produced in Chile. And I was like, yeah, but I'm based in London. Oh, well, we might be able to bring you here. And then I start like getting invite invitations because obviously the flight tickets were way less, um, you know, EasyJet and, you know, without <laughs> making an advertisement, like super cheap stuff. And they were paying for those things. Um, and eventually I found myself like just arriving to London and having a really good material underneath my arm to, sh- to, to, to be shown. And, and that was very good for me. It, it helped me to start in a new country. I didn't speak English well back then. I mean, I don't speak English well still, but that was terrible then. But back then was really bad. But it, it, it pushed me. To go up front and try to present my like, my film, um, to talk with other filmmakers, and it just for it, it forced myself, it forced me to to, and I forced myself to to get in, in into that little opportunity that it was is one being presented. So, so it was it was sort of a coincidence. We just filmed that, and my partner then got an, uh, a scholarship to study in a dance school in London. 
so in a dance university. So we moved there and we just recently were finishing this project. So it kind of overlapped things, you know, uh, was not as well planned as it ended up being. It just happened. Um, but we were, because we were pushing for our stuff anyway, we were, you know, searching for opportunities and she was looking for studying abroad. So we, we managed to do it. Um, and yeah, but, but still, arriving to a new country is always tough. It's always tough. But in, about yourself, like, what, what were you looking for when you thought, when you were moving to London and, and what did you find? Well, <clears throat> um, well, it was obviously it's challenging. As I said, my English was really bad then, but but to be honest, I, I was looking for the same things that I've been looking. I, I wanted to make my films. I wanted to be involved in creative projects. I wanted to be involved with creative people. Um, and I used the skills that I had to, to get into that. Uh, it was very tough the first year because I had no plan, to be honest. I was like, I really know what I want, but I had no plan. So first I moved in, I was like sort of adapting for a year. I was learning more English. I was going to to English lessons, and I was like, you know, participating in literary groups. So we read we read English, and they talk about the story that we read. And I thought, okay, well, that's still I'm gonna read some stuff in English. So it's it kind of helped me to keep reading and this and that. So I kind of put all what I could to just force myself to adapt as soon as I could. And one key thing uh, was music, in fact. Then I realized how important music is to create communication without words, because I knew how to play bass decently. Um, what I did when I arrived to London, I had, as I said, I had no plan, but immediately I started searching for websites where you can promote your work as a filmmaker and as a musician. Um, I could name a few, but uh, people might know them in the UK, the film on TV Pro or Mandy that I think they fusion now, they're together uh, something and they were a star now, star now uh, and they were, um, um, I don't know, one, one was for music, it was a band mix that code at UK and that website I put a profile and then I start getting a few auditions and I could barely speak decent English and I went there with my bass and I started playing. They, they sent me the tracks and and to be honest, um, it's all about like forcing yourself to get out of your comfort, your comfort zone. And if you are keen on doing an artistic or creative career, I mean, you must do that all the time. Otherwise, you're 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 stuck. You get stuck. So um, to be honest, the first year in London, I couldn't make that much money. I was living by my savings that I that I took from Chile. Um, I bought a DSLR camera with a few lenses. Basically, what I had here in Chile, I sold. I sold everything, and with the same money, I bought everything back there in the UK. I bought a computer for editing. I bought a bass and an amp. And that's how I started. I said, okay, I have my tools. I have my camera, my computer, and my base. Now I can do my stuff. Really, it was like that, without speaking that much English. But anyway, music, it helped me out 
to get into know a lot of British people and play music with them. And if they saw that you were keen on learning the stuff and doing your, your job, okay, eventually we got along, we, we, we became friends, and music was a huge, huge, um, I would say, opportunity for me to get into to adapt to the new world that I was living into in the UK. Um, and filmmaking started paying off after a year, I would say, when my English was way better. And I started getting more work as a freelancer first, like self-shooter, as they say there. Um, so filming and editing and making photos for bands and because also I was related with the music world. I, I, I've been doing photos for bands and videos and stuff like that. So I started doing th those things with little pace. But anyway, I was making some money. Uh, I was lucky. I was feeling lucky that I didn't have to start like working in a coffee shop or anything like a lot of people have to. Um, and I was I, I felt well. I, I, I can I can stay for a while and take the risk of keep going with my thing. And after a year, start paying it. And, and I managed, as a freelancer, I managed to start doing videos. And then I got hooked up with a company that they were quite smart on the, the content that they were doing. They were doing like little videos for restaurants, like Michelin star restaurants in the UK, in, in London, where they got money from, um, let's say, a product company that they sell, let's say, coffee. So they asked for the money for the, the coffee uh, brand. Um, and they hook up with the restaurant and the chef and they were putting these little videos showing recipes with the coffee that the chef did in this restaurant. So it was promotion for the brand, promotion pro for the chef and the comp and the and the restaurant. And they were putting this on YouTube and creating like um like a kind of niche site for for people who like gourmet and you know food and restaurants, high high profile restaurants. Um and and I was doing videos for them like I don't know, three, four per month. And they were paying like uh, roughly, I don't know, 100, uh, 800 pounds, 600 pounds. So you could make, wow, eventually I was making money of it. And I was like, wow. But it was quite demanding anyway. And I, and I was like, just into that. And then the, and again, the back, the, the more creative bag on your head, like start like saying like, oh, well, okay, you're making your living now. It's good. You're basically working as a freelancer video maker in, Lon in, in, in London, that's good. You're playing music with some bands, that's cool. You're having fun, but you're not doing any proper project. Like your project, again, You as a director, you're getting lazy, you know? I'm doing corporate stuff. Well, it keeps you some training, but eventually it gets to the point that you know how to do it when you start doing like 15, 16 videos, the same thing. It's like, it feels like a bit sausage um, factory again, and you start saying, oh, and then I decide to make a short film in, in the UK, which is a different approach. I work with a lot of people who are not filmmakers. I work with a lot of people who are, were like students and some of them were literally amateur people who liked photography and liked filmmaking a bit, but they didn't know. So I've, I kind of, make a bit of my little kind of school with this short film. And, and I put a bunch of friends that I was knowing by then in, in, in London. 
um, I wrote a script with a Chilean friend who was living there. Um, and we put a little of our own money. I would say there were, I don't know, maybe a grand or a grand and a half, like 1500, something like that. And we paid the basics and stuff. And we filmed this short film titled um, The Second Chance. And to be honest, for me, it was like, it, it's, it's not something that I, I'm specifically proud about the, the result, but I'm very satisfied about the process because for me it was my first short film written and directed in English. So it was a proof for myself, you know, to say, well, I've been two years here now, I can make a short film, I can direct maybe some actors, you know, uh, uh, in English, I can write in English, and I can produce here. And, and that was like, again, me, investing on myself to try to make a short film in the UK. And that was the whole goal of it. Um, very, I don't know, um, a bit unconscious, like very um, instinctively, again, like just go forward and keep doing stuff. If you don't do anything, you, you get, you're going to get rusty and that's it. And that was, that was the second... I mean, that was the the second fiction that I, that I that I put for myself, that I pushed for myself, like a sort of pro executive producer and doing everything really. Yeah. And then, uh, what, you also done some like other commercial work um, later on, like you, you work full time. And why did I move? Like, what were you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So. In, yeah, in the UK, I was yeah playing music, doing some of my own videos, and working as a freelancer. But um, I was sort of realizing that at, at, at the same time, I needed some stability. I, back then, I was being already like I don't know, fifteen years freelancer, you know, and 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 it's it's tough, you know, it is tough. We all know that it could be really tough, but at the same time, it gives you some freedom to diving whatever project you want to. So I was enjoying all that thing. And I did a couple of dance videos, music videos in the UK, um, this corporate side as a freelancer. But then at some point, um, I decided to, we, we decided to have a child, you know, I wanted to, you know, have a family. And I said, okay, it might be the time to sort of sacrifice myself of doing all this stuff uh, for a while and go into something more steady, you know, stable job. Um, and again, in one of those websites, I applied for a job. Uh, we, um, I, I went through a process, a very detailed process of uh, for, for selection, uh, interviews, stuff. Uh, and we end up, in fact, working together, doing some video work for the Arsenal Football Club. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even know who was were the clients, so they send us like they throw us to the lion. They say, "Well, we need you to film something and show how you can do." And we went there and we were filming, yeah, high-profile football players, uh, and and eventually I got the job. And it was it was very satisfying as well. And I, I would say this for everyone who is, again, like willing to move to some other places. Like 
if you trust in what you can do, there's some place there that what their value is your hard work and your skills and your and your and 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 your social skills as well. How you how you present yourself, how you communicate, how you work in teams. If you're good on that, I mean, there's nothing that that you should be shame or feeling less than other people. I mean, me coming from South America and going to Europe and and kind of you know chasing this job position and and literally like competing with a lot of people who are Europeans or who are uh, UK based or British people working on their field it feels like you are yeah you're a foreign guy like you know competing here and and eventually when you get the work it's like wow i mean it mean it means that i'm good at it you know good enough in some way and that and that's rewarding uh, that's quite rewarding at the same time, I went in that period like saying, okay, this is a new experience. I'm going to get into full-time job corporate world, you know. Uh, I was doing a lot of videos for online gaming and gambling companies, but quite related to sports world. So they were, um, we were going to, into... Um, showrooms and like you know uh, events and seminars around the world that were talking about like you know the gambling business and the gaming business uh but they were promoting with big stars like you know mike tyson um football players retired football players and rugby players so they were promoting these brands you know i'm not gonna name them but promoting these brands with with high profile interviewees so we had to um, to go there and interview them uh, and it was quite exciting thing because we were traveling a lot um, so the first couple of years I I, I, I had I know booked like 10 12 travels per year so once a month and you were traveling all across Europe and states to these events and interviewing really high profile people you know and and you learn a lot I mean I was at the beginning, I was like, oh, this corporate world, I hate it. Well, I have to film, I have to edit, whatever. But eventually, I start realizing that they were using a lot of strategies to promote their brands, to, um, <clears throat> to increase revenues or to bring clients on board and stuff like that. And I thought, well, you know, this is, this is bizarre because I thought, well, I can use these techniques to promote my band to promote my music, to promote my film, you know, to promote my my stuff, and I and, I, and and eventually I found myself on these, you know, seminars like record filming it, but at the same time really keen on learning from these guys, and they were quite um, motivating people. They were all all of them. They were CEOs of big companies. They run a lot of people. They know what they're doing, and they are really team workers, like good team workers. And my company, I was lucky, it was an international company based, well, in the UK, um, in Spain, Seoul, Seoul in Asia, and Canada. So I was lucky even to travel some to other offices and met and meet other people from the company. And you realize that there's a kind of, in the corporate world, there's a kind of way of making things to make feel people comfortable in their jobs. And during those years, I felt, I felt as secure as I never felt before as a freelancer. I have to, to, to be quite open, honest about that thing because I, I managed to have my child with my partner and to have, uh, I think we're like three years, three and a half years probably that I went, I spent with this, with this company. And I had three and a half years that I could 
be stable economically and feel safe for a while, eventually the bag of filming and doing creative projects start kicking again. And when I felt, okay, I, I passed the, the, the difficult part, I feel more safe now, I get back into it and I, get, I, I quit that company. Um, uh, I had to, eventually, I, I started feeling it again, like, well, I, I, if I stayed here, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get lazy. I'm gonna be comfortable again in my zone, you know. And I was like, no, I, I need to get back to my thing, and I quit. And in fact, since then, I I went straight into write my my first now supposed to be my first feature film, um, and I went straight there. Uh, I couldn't resist, um, and that was a big step. And I get back into Chile. Um, family things. I mean, life. Obviously, it's it's, it's inevitable that life. Uh, it's it's more important than your job. It's inevitable, and in and at least for me. And then I get back to Chile, and I've been focusing on that pretty much since then. I mean, doing obviously a lot of side work, corporate stuff because you have to pay the bills, and and music videos. Uh, and fiction eventually what's the the final aim you know and and what what do you think about uh, living and working in london um, what are the differences that you can see with like with santiago mm. well this this i mean there's some massive difference and in some other ways they're it's pretty similar but that's that's i guess is, uh, it's, it's difficult to compare. I mean, there are different places, but the first thing is like, London is, um, you have to understand that London is like a completely uh, purpose-driven city. You know, all the people who goes there goes for a reason and they're very keen and determined on that reason. So a lot of talented people that you see around, they really know what they want to do. I mean, whether they, they make it or not, that's another story, and, and that's everyone's struggle. The thing is, like, um, people go there because they want to become or they want to get to that next level of their careers. Um, that's, a, that, that's what you see in London. I wouldn't say that's UK. I mean, obviously, it's not. That's just London. Uh, and, and I didn't notice that same thing in other places, you know, in the, of, of UK. Um, Chile is certain part is a bit like that, but the the majority of the parts is not like that. Santiago is not like that. Santiago still is a big city. We are like seven million people here, so it's quite a, quite a big city. So it didn't feel that difference like coming to what London is a big city. It felt like okay, this is a big city, same San, San, than Santiago, you know, but it felt that there were way more opportunities way more opportunities. The competition is tougher, of course, because the level, and as I said, everyone have that mentality of making it, of doing it, you know? Uh, but at the same time, um, there's more opportunities. So if you still find your place, you still find your little niche or where you can start, that's good. I would say I was lacking some way. Uh, I always felt differently, but I, I went to London when I was on my third okay 30 I don't know 32 maybe you know mm -hmm. so so I was not starting if you are starting you don't have a 
a, a, a portfolio, a, a good showreel that you can, that it can prove what you know what to do, it's way more tougher because then starting on a very expensive city, very highly competitive environment, and starting from scratch must be very, very difficult, you know? Um, so I was lucky that when I came here, and as I said, I was just finishing that short film, Pristine in Torment, so that gave me a little push. And because I have these skills of playing music, that gave me another push, you know? And because I was already kind of investing on myself as a filmmaker, I had that input already set up on my mind. So when I when I went through making that second short film and stuff like that, so I was being able to prove that I'm I'm a, I'm a filmmaker in the UK, you know, I'm doing stuff. So, and, and, and I remember when I went to a few first interviews of Steady Job, they were asking for footage that it's been filmed in the UK. So I could show my previous show reel, oh, the, I did this in Chile, but they were like, oh, okay, well, we're not interested on that. We want to see if you can film here. I don't know. It felt like a big, a big proof of that you that you're not. I don't know, stealing some other one's show reel or whatever. But it's a proof for them that you can produce in their language and and deliver to clients that they know exist. You know, not companies that they in in the other side of the world. You know. Um, so I would say I was lucky because. I, I was a filmmaker when I moved there. I didn't start as a filmmaker there, you know? And that's that's a huge difference, I guess. And another thing maybe to say, sorry, is it, it you you have to push yourself even if you don't speak English because because otherwise you will never learn. I mean, that's the way of learning. And 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 if you go even to uh, English lessons, they will not teach you how people actually talk on the street. They will not say the slang words that people use there. They will not teach you that way of talking. And, and being with bands, you know, guys getting drunk and playing music, you get that word. So you, that's <laughs> why you learn, you, you know, how, how to properly interact in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit like uh, when I arrived in Ireland, uh, when I first left Italy, and <laughs> I bet an Irish from, uh, Irish accent is wow just, fucking just tough. Just landing from the airport, you know, getting the next bus, <clears throat> and this kid asking me for a lighter. And I was like, Gala. What? Gala. <laughs> Gala. What? what? Oh, lighter. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's just that straight away, you know, the, how the street slang like, yeah, works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, you, yeah it's you, important. You will never important. learn in, a, in an English school anyway. Yeah, you, you need to learn. Uh, we might learn a little bit on some films maybe, but yeah, you need, you need that for communicating for your job as well. Like, uh, it's all about communication. As you say, like mm. music, that definitely helps. As an universal language, you don't need to speak. You know, you just... Exactly. If you're a musician, you kind of know. You either interact with somebody or you don't. You you do understand yeah. or you don't. It doesn't mean you know music or not. It just some things don't work together. You know, it just okay. Don't like each other. You don't need to explain. <laughs> yeah. so it, it is. It is. It is a you know a good a good point to start talking with people. Uh, it's a little bit like talking about football. You know these kind of things. You yeah. don't need the language. You know, yeah. but you can you can go in somewhere. 
anywhere in maybe in Afghanistan, whatever, and talk about football players, and you have a you know the yeah. stuff. Someone's gonna serve you a tea, <laughs> you know. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of a relationship that it 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 comes with uh, with a mutual passion, you know. Yeah, it's something that yeah. both like and you enjoy that. That's it. Yeah. And uh, actually, going back to you, you wanted to talk a bit about uh, the grants fundings in in Chile as well. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, we have a quite different situation regarding fundings that I've, I've seen in other places. I know that in Europe there's not too many fundings for indie filmmakers. Uh, and it's quite competitive, of course, but there's very little fundings out there uh, in, the, in, in, in Europe, I know, and at least in, in the UK. UK. Yeah, UK. In the UK, especially. specifically. But in Europe in general, still, it's not as, how, as what we have here. And, but I, I, I must put in context, because it's not that we are living this golden era where we have fundings. It's, it's because, uh, as, as if, if people doesn't know, I don't know who is listening, but it, if people, some of them might know that Chile, we had a terrible dictatorship during the 70s and the 80s until the 90s, early 90s, uh, Pinochet, um, Augusto Pinochet. Um, so the point is, when he got to the power, he literally, brought down all the arts. So there were no art school, no theater school, no film school, just conservatory classic music, I would say, and a few maybe other things that were very under the military, the, the dictatorship control. So over a period of almost 30 years, you know, a, f a whole generation, we didn't have art in Chile. So that's the first things to understand. So when we got back to democracy in the 90s, one of the first, um, you know, like uh, changes that the new democracy party st started to pushing for was like to, we need to reincorporate the culture and arts in, back in Chile. And, and eventually, all the artists that they were in during the the dictatorship, they were they moved away. They, they, there's a, there's tons of great artists, Chilean artists, that they did their career outside. I can name Raúl Ruiz, who have made like I think I, I'm not sure, but over 150 movies around the world. He worked with Catherine Deneuve in France. With John Malkovich has worked with in his films. We have uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky who did an extensive career in, in Mexico, uh, but they were all exilated. They were all people who escaped from, from, the, from Chile during the dictatorship, otherwise they could be killed. You know, Miguel Litin, we have so many artists. Inti Limani, Inti Limani, Inti Limani, Los Jaivas. <laughs> yeah, a bit on Italy and France, they, they, a lot of, they went to France. Uh, so, um, in Europe, they might know some Chilean people and they were exilated uh, during that period. So uh, a lot of great, great artists, they had to their, do their career there. And basically on the 90s, we got back to this democracy, uh, supposedly democracy, <laughs> and, then, and then we have the culture back. And so one day they, they start pushing these fundings called Fondart, uh, art fundings, specifically with, cat uh, with specific categories like for, you know, photography and music and filmmaking uh, and literature and, you know, and dance. 
so they had these fundings, and they're been running since 1992, I would say. I'm not sure about this, this specific dates, but they've been running since then. Um, which is from one on one side is great for us as an artist because we have the chance to get I don't know 25k to make your short film you know, but on the other side it's sort of a carnage because you have to fight with hundreds and hun thousands literally thousands of people wanting to have to make their project so it's it becomes really like sort of you have to become an expert on on fundings. You have to learn about pro uh, executive production, even if you want to be a filmmaker, or even if you want to be a, a, script, a script writer, you need to learn how to get fundings for your script writing, because this is not such an industry that they're gonna buy your script, you know? This not, we don't make that many m movies. So, and, and to, to give a kind of a illustration of this thing, in 1985, we, during the, the dictatorship period, we have done just three movies during two decades or something like that. To, it was like crazy. Just two movies in two decades. And then we got back to democracy and now we're making it 50 movies per year. So obviously digital era has changed the production um, quality of films. Obviously we have digital cameras. So, but it's not just about that. It's because Chile has grown. And if you see from that perspective on, um, from 1990, where we were not having at all a film industry until just the recent years when we got a Oscar winning movie as a best foreign movie with Una Mujer Fantastica, a Wonder Woman, um, a fantastic woman, sorry, in English, um, of Sebastián Lelio. Then we just feel that, oh, we have a film industry in Chile. Now there's a film industry in Chile. And I, I went into film school in 1996, and it was the first film school that it opened after the dictator, the, the, during the dictatorship, after the, the, the dictatorship, when we get back to democracy, you know? So we got back to democracy in 1990. 1996 was the first school that it opened. It, it opened in 1994, I think, and I was like third generation. So I was like 1996, I was, you know, uh, starting that. And, and, and since then, now we have a sort of industry. So it's completely different to what is London in that way. It's, it's, it's another story. Again, answering your previous question is like, in London, there's an, uh, a film industry. Uh, probably, obviously, in Hollywood and even in, you know, in in India, in Dubai, you might have a huge, you, you can find a huge film industry. Um, so there's some countries that, that are doing that. We were way, way delayed uh, on infant state on the 90s. Now we just reach a grown-up or a mature industry. With, and in fact, I, and I think symbolically, that movie earning the Oscars, uh, first Chilean movie earning an Oscar, you know, for a best foreign film, feature film, um, it's a big thing for us in that sense. And I think the eyes are in some way pointing out to Chile now. Uh, a lot of festivals are having Chile as a guest. A lot of films are being distributed internationally. 
we have got a few awards in the Berlinale and you know some French festivals. So it feels a good, a really good moment for for Chilean industry, film industry. Really. Actually, I just I just remember that we watched a Chilean film um, when it was la last year in the, the London Film Festival. Mm, I don't remember the title. Uh, what it was about? <clears throat> it's about this family, and I just remember about the the fire in the in the forest. Ah, uh, yeah, is uh, Dominga Sotomayor. It's called uh, Sotomayor. Yes. Yeah, Dominga yeah. Sotomayor. Uh, she won. I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm sorry if I, I get messed with those things, but I I think she won Locarno. Uh, Switzerland Locarno Festival um, and she won as a first time women director oh, at yeah. once Locarno yeah, I think yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure about so if if people is listening and they want to check please do because I'm not 100% sure but she's doing really well um, it's called in Spanish it's called Tarde para morir joven which it means like afternoon to die young or something like that I don't know the title in English but it should be something like that or Dai Jang on afternoon, yeah. afternoon to Dai Jang should but be something like that. Sotomayor is the she's Dominga, the, but she's yeah. the daughter of what's another Sotomayor? No, I'm confusing. I don't know. I don't know if she's if she's related to someone else uh, really, um, but she's doing quite well. She have done a few feature films. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I, yeah, I would say that's probably her second or third. Maybe ah, I'm okay, not sure. Okay, okay. She have done a few. Yeah. Or yeah. she's she's still doing quite a few, yeah. And yeah, as you say, like I think at the beginning I thought that Jodorowsky was Mexican. <laughs> no, always, he's Chilean. You know, being like Spanish P here, always Mexican. You think is yeah. You know, when you it's Mexican, then it's yeah. Chilean. So, yeah, yeah, I love him. Yeah, you know, I read his books as well uh, about. Yeah. Uh, She's a comic uh, uh, writer as well, <laughs> yeah. tarotist, tarotist, theater director. Yeah, yeah he yeah, done his very eclectic yeah. character. Yeah, he's still his doing art. tarot on Facebook. If you want yeah. to follow his page, he's making tarots at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a fantastic character. Like, yeah. I love him. Um, it's, it's sort of our, our David Lynch. It's our Chilean David yeah, Lynch. He yeah. does everything, you know. He goes like um, to the bizarre world and... And it's great. It's, it started stuff. with mime. So. Yeah, he was Marcel Marceau's apprentice. <laughs> yeah, assistant yeah. and apprentice. That's mm -hmm. true. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay. The other part of Carlos uh, is one. Okay, actually, I didn't realize that you've been teaching as well. Like, uh, are you still doing it? How, how did? You yeah. It? Yeah. Well, it just everything, um, right? I did, yeah, mainly editing. I did some directing as well, or narrative lessons, let's say. Um, but yeah, mainly editing. I've, I've been doing it for quite a long time. I mean, I mean, I did it in Chile, and when I moved to London, I, uh, I stopped teaching. I because as well as my English, I didn't find myself like comfortable, uh, keen, comfortable teaching really. But but I did it here in Chile for quite a long. Um, I work closely with a film school and production company called La Toma. Um, we and I, I, I said I work closely because I'm not just a teacher of their school or their film school. I, I work there as a teacher, but I also have worked with them and we have co-produced 
projects, TV stuff, and and they are working on a documentary that I am editing uh, now for them. So I, I'm very close friends of them for many years. So again, it's like you work sort of with your family. I feel with them. Um, and I've been teaching them, I, I did it for like eight years or so. I moved back to London and then when I came back to Chile, I started doing it again. They offered me again if I wanted to do it. And it was like kind of a new feeling because it could be tiring at some point. It could be, it, I mean, again, if I, if I do something for too long, I get sort of tired and bored. So it was well, it was good for me to to not do it for a while while I was, was in London. And I'm still doing it. And now we just moved to online classes because of obviously COVID and the pandemic thing. Um, and it has been a new challenge as well because I used to teach in a, in a, in a place where every, every student have their computer. So we used to show to each other's, um, each other's mates, classmates, what we were editing. And we have this data show I'm up front and we could do the lessons. And in fact, when we moved to to online classes, uh, I found it more difficult because um, I cannot in some way oversee how they're doing on their side that well. I cannot see if they're applying well the, the, the techniques or on the timeline or, or in the editing program, you know, software. So I find it a bit more challenging, but at the same time, it's still super rewarding because to be honest, like you get back to to some basic and root stuff that you have to teach. I know you teach as well. You just told me that you were teaching uh, to teenagers on the BFI, which is great. So it's rewarding. You get back to the basics. You know, you you teach what is juxtaposition, uh, and you show them, you know, Hitchcock doing it, and you show them like I got back to the classics with that. That's the thing. You get back to this. This is a you know a sequence shot, or this is a master shot, and this is are the insert. This is an override, and this is an you know and and this, this is how like you wow lock the, the tripod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is how you balance the white balance, you know, and you get the natural stone uh, skin tone, and and that things are like so essential even for us like to just keep reminding reminding ourselves like the whole thing um and because well at least editing um is not just a technique and all all obviously not all the all the film areas are not just technical that's what people think a lot it's technical no they are creative and technical and th there must be a, a a really good balance in between those things you could be very creative but if you don't know the technique how to make it work it, it doesn't happen. And, and the other way, if you're too technique, it gets cold. It doesn't feel that there's art on it, you know? This feels like very flat. I don't know how to explain it. So when when you teach to the to, to other people, you don't you just don't teach techniques. You teach sort of how you appreciate how, how you learned how to appreciate a film, how you learn how to train your eye, train your ear, train your eye, and knowing oh that's a you know a raconto or a, that's a match cut, you know, oh that's a, a flashback or this. Well, people know that a bit, but they get better at it. So I don't know. I love to teach that because I'm I'm teaching narrative more than editing, you know, ah. in some way. Okay. Yeah. And and now let's uh, let's move a bit on uh, your music side. Um, as, you, as I say, like you're a very skilled bass player, um, songwriter, 
a music producer like so um, what genre of music inspire you to start playing and uh, what are your eras and how did your passion develop in terms of collaborations both in Chile and London along the years mm. yeah well as I said at the very beginning of the interview I'm not uh, I'm not trained as a musician I didn't study properly to be honest I just picked up the bass and I started playing as I said in, in a punk attitude and learning on along the way but I felt that I had some I don't know some ear for it um, and I start like uh, when I was younger I, I listened to hard music like uh, you know Metallica and um, punk rock at the beginning but then it was kind of weird maybe because a bit of um, pretentious being a bit pretentious I started like listening to a lot of jazz as well um, and I remember even before getting into film school as I said I, I, I went there in 1996 I remember my first jazz album was Miles Davis uh, and in fact, was is, is, is for me symbolic because it was his last album was the Dubop, the, the the album that he um, that it went out when after he died. In fact, you know, uh, so I listened to that album in 1994, and it's sort of hip hop with jazzy trumpet on top. And I don't know, I, I said, oh, this is cool. I like this thing, and it, it because it felt cool. And I said, okay, I like jazz now. You know, mm-hmm. I was quite pretentious to be honest, but uh, I kind of start digging into it and I listened to a lot of jazz stuff. So to be honest, I was mental because I used to go to punk rock concerts here in Santiago, to like really hardcore stuff. Uh, and, and the people were really hardcore as well. Like you, you could get into trouble sometimes. And I was listening to jazz stuff, but without knowing from where to start in jazz. Jazz is such a huge universe. And a lot of people go like sort of chronologically. It's like filmmaking as well. A lot of people go chronologically and try to go first for the classics. And then um, I just start like grabbing my, putting my hands on whatever I could grab and just listen to whatever it came to my way. Uh, Shortly I found Jacob Astorius and being a bass player, I was like, wow, this is the most, you know, incredible thing that I listened. And I couldn't believe that it was so old and I was like, it felt so futuristic for me. Um, and I started listening to a lot of jazz. So nowadays, I would say my influence are, my heroes are jazz musicians mainly. But I did all my beginnings as musician playing rock, playing rock, mainly alternative rock, hard rock, funk and rock, um, a bit of fusion, what I could because I was not that good. Um, and and that has been for quite a long. I mean, rock, rock is my roots as musicians, but my inspir- inspirations are from the jazz world. So I would say that. Um, and I'm not that good to play jazz because I didn't learn properly music. I, I'm very self-taught, uh, autodidacta, you know. Um, so... So I couldn't be that good to play with music with jazz musicians and and play, uh, you know, um, shoulder to shoulder with them mm-hmm. at their level. But still, though, I'm 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 I managed to jam with some friends who are jazz musicians, and I can defend myself. I can you know have a fun. I wouldn't do it on a live show because I uh, I wouldn't be at that level. Uh, so I'm not one of those guys who can jam 
ju just jump on a stage and jam uh, with jazz musicians or even blues musicians. I can do a few stuff. But if I work in a band and I can prepare my set list and I can, you know, learn what we should play and propose and do arrangement and stuff like that, that's what I can do. Uh, but eventually, being a sideman, because that's how what, what it is being a bass, bass player on a band, even though I was composing and writing a lot of stuff for those bands anyway, um, I felt that I had enough skills now to make the movement, to, 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 to make the step to start producing my own stuff. Um, and on the, on, the, on the way, playing bass, I always start, again, putting my hands on other stuff. I start learning keys and piano a little bit. So I learned, oh, chords and chord progression. And then I went into theory. I, I really uh, got, I, I can get really obsessed with some stuff. stuff. So I, I got really into learning theory and, and, and kind of learning a bit more. And then I decided to start writing my own music. Um, and I was playing in London with with a band called Stellify, which is a hard rock band. And we were doing quite well on blues and rock festival. It's, it's a hard rock, but with with a uh, with a backbone of blues, you know. So we were uh, like really going, looking back also into blues, but putting pushing it into a more hard form. Um, and we were doing quite well. But I was having this thing that is like, if I keep playing rock i will never gonna get to that that level of 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 producing you know of learning how to uh, do it all by yourself a producer should should be someone who can produce the music without depending of others that sort of thing um so yeah i teach myself to play piano or keyboards and then i start producing and i and i i I cast people, I literally start searching for people online who can fit to this project that I wanted. And again, like being extreme on putting myself out of my comfort zone, I said, okay, I've been playing rock my whole life. I'm going to do something more electronic, more synth driven, uh, with a female voice, because I've been playing with a rock bands who had been fronted by males mainly so I was I want a female voice I don't want guitars on this because I've been playing with on the shadows of guitar for all my life as, as a bass player especially in rock not in other on other styles um, so I put myself some kind of um, uh, how do you say limits I said okay no guitars female voice uh, drum, bass, and synths. That's gonna be my my palette. Um, and with that on mind, I I was playing already. I, I had been playing with a a great drummer, um, a Canadian drummer, uh, based in London called Graham Graham Hadley. Uh, he had his own. He had his own studio in, in Battersea, near where you used to live. You remember? Mm -hmm. Uh, right in front where you used to live. Well, that was coincidence. That was those big coincidence. Um, and he has he had this uh, Ping Usagi studio in in Battersea. Uh, and I was playing in a band, a funk band for them. Uh, it was quite interesting back then. It didn't work at the end. Uh, but I called him back and I said, "Oh, you know, I'm putting this band together." And I just found this girl, which is great. And I found Frankie. Um, 
she is a British singer, that she was doing something completely different. She was playing on her ukulele, like kind of folk songs on Instagram. So she was singing and playing folk songs, but she has this beautiful sort of bluesy, very bluesy voice. And even though I didn't want to make blues, I felt that she was perfect for this thing. And I called her and say, you know, I mean, I contact her and say, you know, I'm putting this project. Uh, this is going to be my first experience as producer. I've been playing music all my life, but this is going to be uh, something good, uh, something new for me. I'm sorry. Um, so you want to try, give it a try. Let's just have a meeting. Let me show you what uh, some ideas and blah, blah, blah. We went for a coffee. We talked about music. And then she said, okay, send me a few bass lines. And now you're saying you're a bass player. Send me a few bass lines. As soon as you get to back home, record some bass line. I don't want to listen any that you have done before. I just want to listen what you what this conversation inspires you to do, to do. We talk about trip hop music. We talk about electronics. We hop up, We talk about a bit drum and bass. So we talk about certain styles and bands or music that we liked. Um, and I went back home, and that was my task, my homework. I went there, I put my bass, and I started recording bass lines. I did like eight bass lines just in one take. I went straight into kind of improvisation, improvisational mode. And then I sent three to her. I said, look, these, these are decent. The other, the other <laughs> thing were crap. I mean, nobody makes eight great ideas in once. And, and, and there were three good ideas. I wouldn't say great, but there were a couple of good. And she liked two of them. And we decided, okay, let's work on those ideas. And eventually those two ideas became the first one, which is the first one that I wrote, uh, that I, the, the, one, the first one that I improvised. It became our first single. And I still, I think it's the best thing that I've done, musically-wise. I am very proud about that project. And we went into like a year development of these ideas, then... We recorded everything on Pinkusagi's Graham studio, uh, the drummer's studio. So we were under control of everything. He did the engineering. I, I kind of le uh, know a bit about engineering, not seriously stuff, but I can record myself. I can produce on my side. But I was doing all the demo, all the MIDI stuff, all the bass lines, all the drumming. I was writing in, in MIDI and then we uh, got together and the drummer put his feeling, he did arrangements, he suggested stuff, we changed, we moved things around. And then Frankie, she was working on the voices, melodies and lyrics. And we record that literally one track in a, ses in a, in a session. So we went there, we wrote a track, we went there, we record one track. Then we wrote two months, a second track, we went there, we record the second track and we were like kind of demoing all the way through and recording these tracks and we did an EP the band is called Speetk S-P-E-E-T-K um, it's sort of a weird sound sounding word that we came up with but it reflects a lot of the sound that we wanted to achieve and we did this six track EP uh, almost a, an album because um, we we if you go like over 26 minutes I think it's considered an album but we went for a, a really good kind of fully bodied EP um, we mixed 
I mean, we recorded in Pinkusagi Studio in the in the UK in, in London. I sent the tracks to a very close friend that is a, a sound engineer here in Chile that I really trust him. Even though obviously there's great uh, engineers in, in the UK, but I I just really like how he makes it, and because he's also a bass player and he is really into electronic music, so I felt this is the right guy because well, I'm a bass player and I really need to make it. I really wanted to make it sound fat and big, you know, as, uh, with the basses. And this guy is really into electronic, so I I send it to him, and then we master it in Abbey Road Studios in in the UK. We spent a bit of money on that, and we went there and we mastered this track with Frank Artwright, which is he has mastered. Uh, Portis Head, um, some stuff of Massive Attack, sometimes of uh, Arcade Fire, Bjork. I mean, obviously, the people who work in Abbey Road are top on, on, on their game. Um, and he was one of them. And because he mastered Massive Attack and Portis Head, we said this is the right guy because we were doing trip hop. So that's how we, we end up classifying what we were doing. It's pretty much that. Uh, it's solo. It's, it's also sort of dream pop and synth wave sounds and a bit of that. So it's a mix of stuff. Um, but that was the right guy, and it ended up sounding so good. That, and I was so proud about it because it was my first production thing. Uh, I mean, the first music that I pro fully produced, fully from the beginning to the end, and all the creative decisions. Even though it's a collective process with the, all the musicians, were at the end. Yeah, decided by me, sort of as film director as well. It's pretty much the same, the same position, you know. Uh, if you have the content, uh, if you if you control your own content, you know. So it felt really satisfying. Um, we didn't have the chance to really promote that much the band. I was when we were finished. I was already coming back to Chile, um, so. Still, we are on. I am on, uh, on depth on that, like uh, you know, of of going back to the UK and promote this. And well, obviously, the COVID and the pandemic couldn't allow us to kind of really promote the stuff. So we have released so far with that band three singles with videos so far. So there's they are on YouTube and Spotify and all the platforms. Uh, but we still have three more, like kind of. Um, uh, been waiting uh, to be released with this full EP. And we are been thinking of doing a remixes version of it as well, more in an electronic, even more electronic side, less trip hoppy, more electronic side, uh, maybe putting up a bit the BPM and making it a bit more punchy. So we are thinking of maybe to have like a double side EP, like one side is like the full band with a female voice on top of everything. And the, the other one is like more electronic side, more directed into the um, sort of dance side of it but to see what could come of. Um, and we're going to release a music video with one of the singles. The single is called Filter Vision, a, a music video that we filmed back there in the UK. So that's still pending also to accompany this um, this EP release. Um, and that film, uh, that, that music video, we filmed uh, in the Pergola, it's called, I think. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was some. 
somewhere in Hampstead Heath, yeah. Hampstead Heath. Uh, so yeah, so that's gonna be obviously the 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 biggest the the, the promotion and material when when we will be able to release this. Uh, and there's a lot of bands that have been releasing throughout this year, even though this has been a very weird year for everyone. Uh, but because we are not managing to make new music since then we are waiting to probably next year march maybe next year we're gonna i mean 2021 we're gonna be releasing this cp that's the, that's the plan um and speed is is my baby yeah because of that because it's, it's, it's my first step as producer and i and i have the uh, i've been lucky to keep producing other stuff back here in chile uh but but that's i think still my uh my biggest achievement musically wise at least the one that i feel more proud of because i really like how it sounds i really like the music that we did that is some some music that is uh, i love i i enjoy listening you know i really enjoy it that's great yeah. so uh maybe let's listen to one of your stellify tracks first just to show you okay our, cool your hard rock background uh what song are you gonna play for us uh, it's called Sin City. Oh. Sin City was recorded with Dave Pemberton. Dave Pemberton is a Grammy Award um, winner uh, producer who did a couple of albums of uh, um, oh shit I forgot the name of uh, Prodigy. Right. So he was a good experience to work with him. And Stellify yeah, is a hard rock band uh, from South London that I got. Um, I spent probably like three years, three and a half, four years maybe playing with them. We did a lot of gigs in the in the UK. Um, one of the that I really, really remember was the 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 launch of this track, Sin City, in the 100 Club in Oxford Street, uh, which is a classic place where Rolling Stones and, I don't know, Paul McCartney, I don't know, Metallica, have played so it's a small venue that everyone who goes to london should go if they love music uh the 100 club was a, um, a great achievement for me like being launching my single in the 100 club wow that's great <laughs> so sin city very hard rock stuff cool let's listen to it Inside my 
you play these games They'll never make you famous till you blow out your brains Great, and and now let's have a let's listen to one of your latest project, the Spitk, right? Yeah. yeah. What's the well, name that's of the song? Well, that's gonna be the name of the song is at the other side, um, and this was the first song that we wrote in that in that band. Uh, we really like it, and for people who just listened the previous track of Stellify, it's gonna see a massive difference on the style. So it's good. I mean, that was also one of the reasons that, that that it was good to show these two tracks to show um, that I like to kind of reinvent myself after uh, after a while. So this is gonna show the other side. That's what's called at the other side. Cool. Let's listen. Your world, if you meditate. 
Cool, man. Um, that's great. And now I think we should. Um, I would like to know, like a little bit, like uh, both on your filmmaking and music side. Uh, you've been working as collaborator as well, like uh, so. It's an editor or with other already established bands like Stellified. They were already uh, out, kind of, and. How do you find collaborating and, you know, just being part of a project instead of starting a project? And is there anything that kind of gives back to you? Yeah, um, I think it's good always like to, yeah, to to try to be your own engine, to try to push yourself to make your own projects. And I know not all the people really do that or can do that because it's 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 challenging but at the same time i found very relieving like working with other people's where they have the bigger the biggest responsibility you know um as they say like um it's not your baby you know so you make the most to help them and that's what you have to do that's your that's your goal and 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 as an editor that's what i do with directors i mean uh, you have to give them stability because also when they, when they have finished to film their projects, filming their projects, they are very tired and very stressed still. So, and I found myself when I am directing in that state as afterwards. So, you as an editor wants to give them um, confidence that their baby is in good hands. That's the first thing. Um, so you have to be very careful about how you, how you, how you say, how you propose, how you suggest the workflow that we're gonna do. Uh, in a fiction, it's quite easier because you have a scenes and you have you know master shots and insert shots and everything's it's been slated, you know, so, so you, you have some some order to start work with. But, but when you work with um, editing documentaries, um, the last documentary, just to give an, a short example, is three, uh, 300, 300 hours of footage, more than 300, 320 hours of footage. Brave. And we obviously, yeah, we, we obviously need to, to finish with a one hour, 40 minutes documentary. You know, um, so so that 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 project, for example, is a year of work. You know, I, I spend a year editing with with an, with the director, um, and I have to step out of the of the perspective of, of a director, and I have to to put myself in the other side, which is as as an editor, giving him confidence and showing him options 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 all the options that we have and then eventually you start making decisions we you don't start making decisions right up front editing is is a process that is a bit um it's, it's similar to writing scripts it's, it's incredibly similar it's it I, I found myself finding similarities in in the process but it's a bit like ironing so you go a bit forward and then you go back and then you iron again and then you go a bit forward and then you go back and you iron again so you need to kind of smooth things a little bit and you go back and forward uh, so that project for example using it as example because every project is slightly different but at the same time they're all the same you go from known, not knowing what to do and then end up with a movie and you say oh well we knew it all the way long <laughs> that's not true I mean you're lost you're lost 80% of the process you're lost and the 20 last percent you feel that you are getting 
at the end of the tunnel. So even if you're lost, your your job is to make it feel to the rest that you're not lost. <laughs> it's a bit like that. And I, I think a good director on filming should be the same way. It should make it feel their, their, their crew that he knows what he's doing, even though he doesn't know, or even though he's f scared as shit, you know? Uh, otherwise, you create panic, and that's terrible in a creative process. Panic is the worst thing in a creative process. It's better to do whatever you feel is right, even though it's not, and you end up with a terrible project, but at least you went straight there and you felt that you felt that was the right thing. And the result might not be that good. Um, and this is, uh, I don't know, this is another thing maybe, I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going through the branches, but it might be worth to say that as an artist, you need to separate what is the result of what is the process. And, and you need to have clear expectations of your result because you cannot get what you want as a director, as an editor, as a musician, as whatever art you do, as whatever discipline, you can might end up not doing what you expected to do and could be worse than what you expected. And if you, if you feel in that way, it's very frustrating and it could be devastating for us. So you have to separate and say, okay, well, that was a good process anyway, and I learned from it. So when I'm going through editing, I try to learn from directors as well and see what's their approach, what they want to do. And my first first reaction to them is I'm here to, to do what you want to do. You know, that's my first thing. So if a director, this, this director on this documentary, for example, didn't want fades to blacks on the image, didn't want... Uh, texts, didn't want uh, graphic credits with the name of the interviewees or whatever. He didn't want any of those things. He didn't want music at all. I we we end up putting music at the end, but but he was very into make a straight cut, you know, you know, in between and make it very rough. And and at the beginning, I say, okay, yeah, that's what we do. And I and I and I kind of understood his his idea and I follow it and today we have exactly he's so satisfied of what we have and we are wrapping up this project it's going to probably be launched next year but it's going to see the light next year but we are wrapping up and we have a one hour 50 50 minutes cut now of 320 hours so it's been massive and luckily during the the, the COVID time this, this lockdown I've been able to work as an editor again way more than as a director editing this documentary and it's been a whole year process so if you rush and you feel that you are you get lost it's, it's i mean it's all normal you have to trust in the process during a year you will end up finding the way it must otherwise what you're going to spend a year not doing anything productive i mean you have to end up with doing you know with something like that um, and I guess also it's, it's obviously years of experience. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be able to edit that mountain of footage 15 years ago. I wouldn't be able. I mean, TV, to be honest, TV was a really good um, experience for that. I mean, the, 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 the day, the deadlines are so tight, you know, that you have to. And they were filming a lot and you have to just go straight into the bone and put this and that and that and, and don't 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 get too much into aesthetics and details, you know. Uh, eventually you end up 
managing to do that hard work first and then putting all the aesthetic and the details afterwards. So if you save a month after your first cut or two months, you are saved to to polish that out quite, you know, uh, in a, in a more in a in a artistic or cinematic feeling. So you are not editing t TV, but editing TV, it certainly gave me the the thick skin to go through a full year process of editing a documentary. And we haven't we haven't finished. We we still have three months left. So, yeah, you have to be very consistent. Obviously, I mean, you cannot be editor if you're not willing to spend a year editing a feature film or a, a documentary. I mean, that's how it is, you know. And now talking about um, some of your recent projects, like uh, filmmaking, like it, mm. you are about, you've been writing a script for a feature film and you've been making a short out of that. Uh, and what is it about? Yeah, well, um, it's a feature film that I started writing like four years ago. It's been a long time. It's not when when people say like four years writing. I mean, wow, it's it's not that you you are writing eight hours per day. Obviously, it's it's in your head, and then you have two weeks on a year, and you go on the to the beach or whatever, and you log yourself and you write. I, it's been like that. So I log myself every six months. I try to log myself one or two weeks every six months. In fact, my holidays are for writing. So that's are my holidays. So, uh, and I've been able to, yeah, to, to push this script through the years. I invested a bit of money. Again, me investing on myself as a filmmaker. I paid for script doctors and... And I co-write it with Elisa Elias, which is a film director, Chilean film director. Uh, she's also a writer. Uh, she has written a lot of feature films here and TV stuff. So she she's way more experienced than me as, an, as a writer. You know, it's good that a filmmaker has to write. It's good. You need to train yourself. You, you have to. But obviously, um, there's some directors who write amazingly. Uh, I'm not one of them, and I've been teaching myself to do it as as, as everything. I, I force myself to learn other skills and to be good at it, and I can work with scriptwriters. And I well, I I have written my my short films anyway before. I I I, I am a writer in that sense, but. I'm not a professional writer. I don't get paid for that. And I don't spend five hours a day and I don't have deadlines for it, you know? So in that sense, I don't consider myself myself a writer. But in the, the practice, make the master, as they say, and I've been practicing and I've been working on this script for years and I have what I think is a good script and I got fundings last year to finish that script. And I, I got 5K like UK, uh, like pound sterling's K, like roughly in Chilean pesos, of course, here in Chile, to finish my script. And I now in my seventh draft, and I'm pretty sure that there's gonna be more of it, but I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with it. And to earn that little funding, applying in between, I don't know, 300, 400 scripts and getting that funding for your script, just 10, 10 earn that funding per year. So I I was one of those 10. So I felt like, wow, that's satisfying. Uh, unfortunately, us as an artist, filmmakers or whatever, we depend a bit on 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 the rest of us validating our work. It's a, it's a sad, it's a bit sad, but it's a sad true, you know? It's like 
if you are a filmmaker and nobody tells you, oh, that's good, or you earn a bit of money because of that, or you get paid for this, it, you feel that you're playing a game. But if you eventually get a funding and I got 5K for that script, it's like, wow, my script it, it must be decent. You know, the experts said so. So I got 5K. And then I took a strategy that I learned from uh, other indie filmmakers. In fact, I copy, I'm copying a bit of the strategy of Whiplash of Damiel, uh, Damien Cassell. Um, he did a short film for Whiplash. So that short film is basically uh, excerpt uh, a piece of the, a bit of the script. He adapted into a short film with the same actor you know, not the not the the drummer guy, the, the the bald guy, the teacher, the same teacher, and he went on to win uh, Sundance with that short film, and having uh, win, uh, having won Sundance, he got the um, financing for Whiplash the movie. You know, so um, and there's a few filmmakers who have done that. Uh, it's a good strategy for us in the filmmakers. So. I've been learning my skills, let's say, 20 years as an editor, as a director, writing, producing, investing on my own stuff as an executive producer. When I was in London, I went to a lot of seminars about executive producing because I realized that I had to learn that thing. Otherwise, I would not be able to direct a feature film if I don't know how the business side of it works. Um, so you need to learn you, all what you can. Uh, and then... Um, I've managed to put money, to raise money, to get private private financing, uh, and to get a bit of this funding for the script and a bit of uh, a bit more there. I made some co-production agreement with some services and rental companies, and I managed to film this short film, which is gonna have yeah two two sides. One is gonna be a sort of presentation for the feature film that I'm producing, so, you know, that I'm, that I'm working on. So it's going to be sort of a presentation card for that. And from that short film as well, it's going to be promoted as a short film in film festivals, short film festival. So it's going to have his own, its own life, its own distribution, hopefully. Uh, and hopefully, if I get enough attention with that short film, I could drag that attention into possible investment for my feature film that's the thing so it's it's a it's a kind of a hook you know like a fishing hook for for attracting bigger fishes that's it uh, and at the same time I'm gonna make a little teaser from it like a three minute teaser which it will help me to apply for more fundings you know or if I need a, a co-production company in fact it's a co-production that I want to make with France I'm gonna I go through about the story now in a bit, but the strategy of the the, the the production strategy to raise the funding is a bit like that. It's making this short film plus a teaser that I can show and try to get a co-production company from France um, because part of the story happens in France um, and to be able to get fundings from Chilean fundings, artists' fundings here. So I need to have a teaser and a short film will be a, a kind of extra um, sub-product of 
the whole idea which, which is the feature film so you go by steps I mean it's going to be a feature film that it will cost some money um, I mean it's a big step for me it's definitely the biggest thing that I, I've done or that I pretend to do so um, so I am taking in the long run. It's not like I'm rushing to it. I, as I said, I've been spending four years writing this script. Generally, people don't spend that much, so I'm quite perfectionist and uh, self-critic. Uh, but I'm happy with it. Uh, that's, the, that's what I said before. You need to be satisfied with what you expect from yourself, not from the rest of the people. So I'm, I'm satisfied with it. And if the rest of the people that say this funding or this, or the people like wanting to invest on my film, it's a proof that you're going in the right path, sort of, you know, sort of proof. Um, and I managed to film now in September, just a few months uh, ago. I mean, well, this is happening in mid-November. So, this interview so it was a few months ago i'm almost done with the edit and i i, I already i'm quite satisfied with what i'm seeing i think it's going to be a good presentation card for my feature i think it's going to do well in festivals um but it was quite challenging because we had to film it during covid during the pandemic you know um so we were planning to film this on march this year and we delayed it till september uh, that was super stressing because you, you are locked in your place and you want to make movies and you cannot even get out of your house. So it seems very unreal. Everyone was very scared. You cannot um, put people together like to make a film. Uh, so we were super stressed and scared of me saying, well, I'm not going to be able to do this this year, so I'm going to lose the impulse because I already have the script ready for to be filmed. I have the cast. I got the cast. I had locations. And eventually when this came out, locations start to, you know, to cancel. Uh, the cast, one of the cast canceled. I had to recast that, that, that character. Uh, I was scared that my crew were... It could lost their 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 um, you know the 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 career the the yeah the the, the impulse the inspiration we were mm -hmm. we were so into it and then this COVID happened uh, the pandemic happened so we were like we had to stop and it was a bit frustrating but again trusting in the process was way way better because at the end I realized that the people that I had cast the the for the for the main female character was not the right one. And then the, the, the one that I recast ended up being perfect for it. Um, then I also realized that the script could, could be re rewritten way better, and I, I did. So I had version five by then, and then I ended up with, versions, with version seven. This is the, the short film script. No, it's not exact the same of the feature film. It, it was an adaptation, sort of speak. Um, so it was rewritten during that period and I had way more chances to find better locations um, and eventually it gave me a prep like that I couldn't afford before. So everyone had more time to work on your film before going to shooting. So I could have more meetings with my team, Zoom meetings or Skype meetings, you know, video chat meetings. Uh, but it did work. I mean, it did work pretty, pretty well. We were just scared about, you know, the, the risk of filming in these conditions. So we had to spend way 
more money than we thought on the security uh, material, you know, like white overalls, like uh, masks, uh, uh, face protection, PPE. Uh, gloves. Um, uh? PPE. PPE? PPE, uh, we say in, in UK. Ah, protection. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 We have to spend a lot of money on that. So the bad side of it was like our budget was, uh, it got reduced. It was, it was, it was less at the end, but we managed to film anyway. Um, and, and, and everyone did a great job, even though we were dressed up like we were on the space, uh, we end up filming a really good material. Um, and I think it's going to do well next year. I'm, I'm hopefully. Yeah, as we say in Italy, I don't know how we'll translate in English, but not all the bad things come to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> not all the bad things come to be bad, yeah. 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 So, you know, I guess people have more time to think about their lives as well and maybe, you know, some, some good things. It pretty much depends on your attitude and... You know, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you can improve your process. Um, but what, what's your film about? Yeah, sorry, I missed that part. Very important. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a romantic drama. It's about a couple. Um, and we see different moments of their relationship. So we see them when they are all, uh, they are grown up, like on their 40s. Um, they have faced different stage on their the relationships and they are struggling literally and they are like on their last uh, period together. So it's called uh, Lo que queda entre nosotros, which in English I haven't translated the final, the, the, the official title. Yeah, this still is a working title, but it's, it's, it's called What is Left in Between Us, you know? something like that, what's left between us. Um, and it's this couple who has spent their life, uh, so to speak, together, and they are ending this relationship. And they have to face what they're gone through. So it's, even though it's a short film, it have different moments of their life. So we have to um, to cr make a really good car uh, like um, makeup work to make them look younger and older, and spend like a span of 15, 20 years in between in between this couple. And we see them when they had this uh, their first baby, and then the baby has grown up, and now it's a girl. Um, and you see kind of that curve of life. Uh, but the, but it's shown in in retrospective. So we start when they are older, and we see them getting younger and going through these different stages. Um, it's also sort of as I said. Well, this is a it's a soft product of this feature film. So it's sort of uh, sort of the concept of the film because the film uh, it jumps during periods of time of this couple. Okay, so it's a dramatic drama which I would say explores a bit um, when you you get to a grown-up state, like they said, you get to the 40s and you look back on what's been your life and you take the sweet and the dark, the bitter bits from it, sort of say. And th that's the same kind of theme we're going to have in the for your feature film, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's the same story. In fact, they are the same characters, but different situations, different scenes. We see different moments of their lives, let's say. Yeah. Uh, I think we we are getting tired now. We should kind of start to wrapping up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, sure. I, I have a last question, maybe. Uh, is a uh, is what advice would you like to give to someone who wants to start working on in the film or music business? Oof. Um, to be honest, I still don't see the business side of it, so it's difficult to say. <laughs> Um, no, I say you have to love it. That's the only thing. I mean, to be honest, is it could be rewarding, but it could not. And there's a lot of people, who, and I, I have a lot of uh, friends and people who are art, are art artists, and they they struggle with frustration because expectations. You have to be very honest with yourself of what you want. I mean. On the music, I, I've met a lot of people who wanted to be famous and not being musicians, which is different. There are two different, completely different things. So if you really love music, you enjoy of doing it, of playing it. I, I can pick up my, my bass or, stand, or start playing keyboards, and I enjoy an hour full of that, and I feel a lot of satisfaction with that. Uh, obviously, it's satisfying also to have a gig and to have people like after you finish your song, like uh, giving you an applause. It's, it's nice as well. But you don't do it because of that. You have to do it because you love it. And filmmaking, it could be extremely less rewarding than doing live music or live performance because live art is this, is different, like a theater, uh, acting, dance, and music. Uh, they are live performance. Cinema is not live. Cinema is it's more like an architectural uh, work. It's like you, you design a lot, you spend a lot in front of the computer, and then you go on filming, and that's the fun part of it, which lasts very short, sometimes a few days if you're doing a short film, a couple of weeks, a month, two months maximum being as independent filmmaker if you're making a feature film and then you get back to the computer editing and blah blah, blah which is extremely creative part of it but it's not live exciting it's not a live experience so unless that you are obsessive enough you are stubborn enough and you love it enough you love that much what you want to do uh, unless that you are keen with those things on, on keep doing it because of those things first otherwise don't do it I mean because of those things if you love if you do it because of those things you are stubborn um, obsessed and and you love you're passionate about do it and then if you are those things you're gonna get rewards from it you're gonna start earning some money start getting good paid jobs you could start saying no to some jobs, which is satisfying as well. I don't like that thing. I like this project. You can start promoting yourself for some jobs without being ashamed of doing it. So, you know, say, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at it. I can do that. Let me show you. Uh, that's good. That's satisfying. Um, and eventually you start getting rewards from it. To be honest, it's tough making a living of it. And that should be said because it's the truth. But that's if it's not again. If if making money is not your main goal, you're gonna be fine. You know, <laughs> you you could be fine. It's it's about loving what you do. I would say, and you will survive eventually. Yeah. <laughs> eventually, you will survive. Uh, all right, I, th I think that's it for us. Um, is there anything 
you think you would like to oh, add? Oh man, I, I I enjoyed so much the conversation. So good to see you, mate. Great to meet you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for for having me. It was great to catch up, and hopefully we can meet again for a music session or for a film project again. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Okay, great. Uh, to know more about Carlos' work, uh, check out the links in the episode description. And don't forget to find the subscribe Carpe Diem on your favorite app and social media. And find the links uh, at our website, carpediem.podbean.com. Uh, reviews and comments are always very welcome. And I hope you enjoyed the chat today. Until the next one, ciao.